some of these more cyclical exposures like dividends, value, and small cap, uh, cover call dividends, where we can monetize that volatility, are looking pretty attractive as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. It's been a record-breaking week in the capital markets and a great cue for advisors to add some tactical allocations to client portfolios. In this episode, Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and your host, Mark Rays, talk about shoring up satellite positions in value, small caps, as well as preferred shares, while also looking to dividends and covered call ETFs to monetize the volatility. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Weekly ETF Call for Advisors. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO GAN Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined this morning by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris covering equities and derivative strategies, uh, Alfred working on fixed income and preferred shares. So let's, uh, let's start again with equities, another interesting week uh, where we've seen President Trump continue to challenge election results via Twitter more than anything, but as well court cases and recounts. While it doesn't look like it's going to be successful, uh, we're now seeing a growing acknowledgement of Biden's uh, victory. But what are the risks to markets if these are indeed Trump's last few months? Does our defensive growth strategy still apply? And I'll give that to Chris. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And uh, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't look like he's successful, but it's not stopping Trump from trying, is it, to, uh, to, to, to overturn it? You know, there was one you know, notable event this week, he committed to a transition plan. So there's been no uh, concession or acknowledgement of defeat, but he's committed to a, a transition plan, uh, which releases funding to Biden's team, gives them security, um, access to, uh, you know, classified kind of security matters and that kind of thing. So looks like the transition is underway despite all the rhetoric. Um, you know, I think overall, the, the big risks in the market are, you know, I think there's risks both to the upside and the downside. Uh, we're seeing, you know, certainly COVID is, um, you know, we are deep into the second wave, as we all know. Um, and, and here in Canada, seeing provinces tighten the clamps and lockdown here in Toronto and, and other provinces as well. So, um, you know, with Biden coming into the office, you know, it's, it's likely to see a firmer approach on COVID from the federal government down there. And um, obviously that poses a risk to, to economic growth. You know, on, on, on the other side, you know, we are seeing, you know, we now have three vaccines uh, that look very, very promising. Uh, kind of we've had one each week the last uh, three, three to four weeks, starting with Pfizer, then Moderna, and now AstraZeneca as well. Um, so the market has uh, obviously received that very positively, three positive vaccine uh, announcements. And now this Trump transition, I think, um, kind of puts some upside risks into the market. I think it's pretty interesting, and we, we talked about the equity rotation in the market. 
and uh, you know circle back to, to defensive growth. But you know that equity rotation has been significant, and it has been to the upside over the past month. So you know whereas we've seen tech and large cap growth, um, Nasdaq cool um, a little bit, still positive, but not not necessarily leading the market. We have seen those kind of beat up sectors like dividends, value, and small cap have been outperforming. You know, small cap actually would be the most notable one. So our ZSML, uh, our U.S. small cap ETF, is up 14% over the last month, and the S&P is up 4%. So uh, 10% outperformance for small cap. You know, what has, you know, I think, you know, when you talk about defensive growth, U.S. quality, this at UQ has been our anchor. Um, it's returned 2.5%, so it's lagged the S&P by about uh, 1.5%. Now, I'm still inclined in terms of defensive growth um, to kind of keep that anchor of that UQ. I think it's still it's a very good exposure. We don't you know, know the evolution of COVID, certainly, and how that's going to play through the fundamentals. Uh, the quality, of, you know, we've discussed many times, always looks for high-quality fundamentals in those underlying companies, and I think that can still you know, provide a significant uh, benefit you know, going forward. And, and just the way that it's constructed, it is market cap aware. So I think you always capture some of that market trend and market growth, no matter where it's coming from in the in the U.S. quality. So I like that as the anchor. Now we've been talking, you know, in terms of cyclical tilt. You know, I think that's something investors are becoming more aware of, and and, and are looking more. I would say more interesting net net. Um, you know, the one that we've advocated is the financial uh, U.S. banks and Canadian banks. We've been advocating that for months as our kind of initial foray into a cyclical. Um, they have done very, very well. Canadian banks are not quite not quite at their pre-COVID highs, but um, you know, knocking on the door certainly. Um, you know, ZEB, our Canadian ETF, has had gone from a COVID low of about 19 bucks. It's now 29 dollars. So you've seen you know a 60 percent rally in Canadian banks off the low. Um, and similarly in the U.S., U.S. banks are very, very strong, and they're up about um, they're up about 25 percent over the last kind of one to two months as well. You know, so in terms of uh, that cyclical tilt, I think, you know, we're not going to, I wouldn't say abandon the defensive growth. I think that's still the anchor. Um, I still like financials as well, but I think it's time to look at uh, dividends, dividend-based cover calls. So say in the U.S., ZDY, ZWH would be our cover call. Um, They still have that financial weight that's doing very well, but also cover some other sectors of the economy that have some room to come back. So I think it's more constructive. And then certainly small caps as well, you know, having a small cap tilt in the portfolio. We talked at, we talked a couple of weeks ago about RBC had a report saying the fundamentals were, were actually uh, projected to be better than large cap uh, next year, going into next year. So you know, I think it's something investors can look at some of these um, beaten down sectors and there's still a lot of, still a lot of room there. Um, I think the ZUQ is still a great anchor to have in the portfolio. Um, but certainly the, um, you know, some of these more cyclical exposures like dividends, value, and small cap, uh, cover call dividends where we can monetize that volatility um, are looking pretty attractive as well. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And it, it is interesting, you know, we're seeing these new highs and I think everyone is, is feeling pretty buoyant about markets right now, but it is good to keep in mind uh, some of these risks that are that are still lurking in the background. And just one more quick point. I know you, you've been speaking quite a lot to... Um, the banks as a satellite, just a 
a congrats out to you because you've certainly gotten that call right over the last uh, little stretch watching those returns. So clearly, this uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, this defensive core with with adding some uh, cyclical satellites has certainly paid off. So well said. So let's uh, let's move on to another area which is catching a lot of attention right now. Uh, we're getting a few questions and seeing some news regarding U.S. investing. Uh, in 31 Chinese uh, securities and, of course, the pressure on ADRs. Can you walk us through what's been going on in this space uh, and what it might mean for both emerging markets and, of course, Chinese equities? Thanks. Yeah, so there's um, there's two kind of issues that, that have come on the radar in the, kind of call it, let's call it the dying months of the Trump administration. I think it's probably fair to say. Uh, the first, as you mentioned, there's a ban uh, on 31 Chinese companies uh, that are linked to the Chinese uh, military, you know, kind of complex. Uh, the ban is on U.S. holders, uh, so it doesn't apply to Canadian holders. And the ban applies to both ADRs and local securities. It's proposed to come into effect in November 2021. Uh, so any U.S. Um, holder would have to divest of these 31 securities. Um, yeah, certainly a high... Um, you know, high-profile announcement, and, and certainly Trump was known for his high-profile stance uh, with regards to China. Uh, this one is actually uh, relatively minor impact. So, you know, if you look at ZEM, um, the broad emerging markets ETF we have, um, really, you know, although it's 31 companies, many of them are not even in the index. The two most notable ones are China Mobile and China Telecom. Um, they both, in ZEM, we, we invest in the local listing. So not even the ADR. Um, it's a relatively minor impact. The net impact in, in China here of, of this is, is well under 1%. Um, the stocks have moved a little negatively, you know, as you'd expect off the jump with this news. But, you know, I would say I don't see this, even if it's, you know, and we don't know what Biden's going to do um, exactly, right? You know, he, he, may, he may keep this one, you know, only because it's not really that big of an effect. And I think, you know, what Biden... Certainly, he's going to reverse, I think, a lot of Trump policies. You know, I could see him reversing, and he already mentioned the Paris Climate Accord. You know, a lot of those environmental policies that, that Trump had, you know, I could see a very quick reversal from Biden. You know, I would be a little less um, bullish on his reversals with respect to China. You know, I think that U.S. and China dynamic, he doesn't want to be seen as weak on China. Um, although I do think he'll work a lot more constructively, likely, with China than, than Donald Trump. Um, so he may keep this one. This is actually, to me, not a not a um, not a, not as a big needle mover as it you know kind of looks at first glance. Uh, the second you know issue that's probably worth mentioning is um, the SEC also announced an investigation into ADRs. So ADRs are you know uh, companies of a foreign issuer trading in the U.S. They have to meet certain U.S. requirements to maintain that listing. And uh, it turns out that for many years, um, for for several uh, Chinese ADRs, you know, they've refused a public accounting board oversight. Um, so this actually impacts, you know, this is actually a larger weight impact. You know, this would cover um, companies such as Alibaba and Baidu. And, and you know, the potential impact here is they would actually delist these companies. Um, now, most of them have local um, listings that we could invest in. Um, although Baidu is actually an exception there. It does not have a local listing, so it would have to find another listing if this went through. So I think this is actually a larger impact issue, but probably a lower probability one. 
Um, the head of the SEC was a Trump appointee. Uh, he just announced his, his intention to resign at the end of 2020, um, so a couple of days ago. Um, so, you know, a lot of this stuff is in flux. You know, it's going to be, you know, we're likely to have a new head of the SEC next year who is going to be a Biden appointee. We'll see how that impacts things. I think overall, you know, U.S.-China tensions are still going to be a theme to watch. You know, I do not think it just goes away simply under a Biden administration, but I do think, you know, he's going to work a lot more productively with China, um, you know, than Trump did, as I mentioned. So, um, you know, I'm still of the camp that China is still a too big to ignore um, exposure. I still want to have exposure to China. I think, you know, ZEM is a really great way to do it. Um, you know, ZEM, the broad emerging markets, it's about 40% China, but you get a lot of other you know, countries in there as well that give you exposure to the emerging markets growth. Um, yeah, I think it's more, a little more, um, you know, a little more bark than bite at this point, but, you know, certainly something to watch. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I think that's quite informative. Just uh, something for people to keep back in back of mind as, as some of this uh, ADR stuff bounces around, not necessarily that it's going through, but something that uh, we're certainly aware of in, in watching and considering how that might impact markets. Thanks for that. So Alfred, let's come over your way. Uh, can you give us an update on the preferred share market where our latter rate reset ETF, ZPR, or zipper as we like to call it, uh, has continued a pretty steady advance through the fall. Of course, prefs are a, a riskier investment than traditional fixed income, but for advisors struggling for bond returns in a low-rate environment, what would they want to consider for a tactical position in preferred shares? Thanks. Sure. So, um, yeah, you know, to your point, I think preferred shares have definitely seen a you know, steady run, especially since after uh, mid-July or so. And I think you know, we haven't used the word steady and preferred shares in the same sense in, in quite some time. But, you know, I, I think since July, a huge game changer has been uh, the introduction of the limited recourse notes of the LRCN or the additional tier one bonds. Um, you know, as we've noted on this call um, a number of times, uh, we, we think this is very supportive for the asset class, right? So, um, you know, just to quickly recap, uh, uh, banks are essentially issuing these AT1 bonds. As a, as a way of, you know, raising capital to redeem uh, outstanding preferred shares. So, you know, keep in mind, if you look at the rate reset universe, uh, it's about 40 to 45% uh, bank issues. And then when you consider that there's an additional 10% in insurance issuers. Uh, so it's been rumored that insurance issuers potentially will get a green light to uh, issue AT1 bonds as well, which is, you know, supported for that sector as well. And then the remaining, let's call it, you know, 50% of the rate reset universe is made up of, you know, interest rate sensitive sectors. So, um, you know, since July, um, what we've seen is that uh, the rate reset market has, has been extremely stable because of the introduction of these AT1 bonds, which has really just removed a lot of the downside or the you know sensitivity to uh, downside rates. But at the same time, you're still getting the upside because, you know, if um, interest rates go up or down, uh, these banks are still going to redeem these preferred shares. Uh, but at the same time, if preferred shares or if, sorry, if rates go up, uh, you're still going to get the benefits of rising rates as well. So, uh, you know, the introduction of this, of these bonds have definitely been very supportive of the market. Uh, in terms of, you know, a tactical position, uh, we would say, you know, preferred shares definitely make a lot of sense here. Um, you know, I think when you compare preferred shares to, let's say, you know, traditional fixed income, 
um, very different, right? Very complementary. Uh, whereas, you know, traditional fixed income is negatively impacted by rising rates. Uh, rate resets, in, in particular, benefit from rising rates. And uh, I think over the last couple of weeks, you know, a big part of the news, uh, what's re- really been driving markets is obviously the vaccine news. Uh, with the vaccine, you get optimism of you know, an economic reopening, more more optimism about uh, economic growth as well. Uh, so potentially, you know, in over the next couple of months, what we may see is, you know, this, you know, great rotation in equities, which I think is going to force uh, bond yields upwards. So we're going to get repricing in bond yields. Um, so I think that's, you know, when you're putting together a portfolio at this stage, I think it's very important that investors have, you know, assets that are, um, you know, provide protection against rising interest rates, whether it's, you know, preferred shares or things like U.S. tips. Um, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense in a portfolio right now. So we, we've always advocated for, you know, preferred shares as a static position in the portfolio, but I wouldn't use any more than, let's say, you know, 10 to 15 percent allocation to uh, preferred shares in the portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. I think um, that steady run of, of preps over the last few months has definitely caught uh, advisors' attention. And for those that have been patiently waiting for that, having come through some of the volatility in press, it's, uh, it's certainly nice to see. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive series, where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Our latest episode takes a deeper look at emerging markets, an essential exposure often overlooked by Canadian investors. Listen in to learn more about the growth opportunities that exist in this still misunderstood asset class. Check it out. It's the episode dated September 29th in this same podcast series. So I'm going to come back to you on another one, um, an ETF that has been out of favor for quite some time, our base metals ETF, Global Base Metals ZMT. Um, we've been getting some more questions in on that lately. Uh, this ETF has really taken off over the last few months. Can you speak around the catalyst for base metals and, of course, your outlook for, again, a satellite position in, in portfolios? And as an interesting point, can you contrast it to gold, where, of course, earlier this year we saw the massive run in gold, uh, which has stalled out just as base metals has uh, taken off? Thanks. Yeah, um, you know, base metals have, have definitely gone on a, a pretty, you know, massive run here. Uh, so if you look at ZMT, for example, and you um, see where it's come since, uh, you know, the, the bottom of the market on March 23rd, uh, ZMT is, uh, I looked this morning, it's up 122%. Uh, when you compare that to the MSCI world, MSCI world has is, is been up around 62%. So, you know, a massive outperformance there. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, base metals, when you compare it to gold, uh, very different animal. Base metals is obviously, you know, very sensitive to uh, economic growth or economic growth expectations. Uh, but in, in terms of what the catalyst was, obviously, um, you know, after the uh, lockdown or the the uh, outbreak of COVID in, in March, um, when you look at ZMT, it almost happened in uh, two stages, right? So I would say the first stage was more driven by uh, demand and supply, Um when base metals, you know, essentially took it on the chin in March, uh, what happened was uh, economic growth expectations were very muted. It was it was very negative. So, uh, you know, if you recall back in March, as the world was was moving into a lockdown in North America, uh, China was reopening, given that they were you know several months ahead of the North American economy. 
Um, so China's PMI meet, PMI reading in terms of their manufacturing uh, in February was uh, 35. So that, that's a very negative number. Uh, in March, everybody was expecting another negative reading as well. They came in north of 50, which means you know anything north of 50 is expansionary. So their PMI readings have been north of 50 since that time. Uh, it caught the market off guard. So I think that was the initial kind of catalyst for base metals. But then after that, we've obviously had uh, a weakening U.S. dollar. If you look at the U.S. dollar index, it's down uh, roughly 10% since March. So declining U.S. dollar or weak U.S. dollar is always, um, you know, very supportive for commodities in general. Uh, but overall, it was, it was largely driven by uh, demand and supply. So uh, when you look on the supply side, uh, a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of disruptions in terms of uh, supply chains, uh, which has affected not just base metal prices, but anything from, from timber uh, and wood as well. Um, but on the demand side of the equation, you know, obviously we've been working uh, from home. There's a huge shift from uh, working into the working in the office and, you know, a lot of people working at home now. Uh, so that's put a surge in, in you know, demand for uh, residential real estate, surprisingly, um, not only in terms of the work, uh, work from home front, but also, you know, more accommodative monetary policy has also been supportive of real estate prices as well. So there's a lot of demand for uh, renovation, home construction, which has put, you know, a huge demand on building materials like base metals. Uh, so that's been very supportive of, you know, base metal prices initially. Um, but the second leg, which, you know, initially started, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would say that was driven from uh, the vaccine news. Um, obviously, uh, the vaccine, as I mentioned, is very supportive of an economic reopening. Uh, so base metals, obviously, given that they're sensitive to um, economic growth prospects, this has been hugely supportive for base metals in general. Um, another good news item for base metals is yesterday, uh, Janet Yellen was uh, appointed the Treasury Secretary, and that comes with a lot of expectations that there's going to be a lot of government spending, uh, which is obviously support for base metals, and it's also um, – you know, points towards uh, a weaker U.S. dollar, which, again, is, is, is very supportive for commodity prices in general. Um, so overall, you know, I think if you want to commit to to something like ZMT, you know, as Chris pointed out, um, I think the core of a portfolio should still be defensive growth. But I think if you want to be tactical uh, and, you know, add a 3 to 5% position in, in growth areas like ZMT, it definitely makes sense here. Um, but as we noted on the call last week, I, I think, you know, being cautiously optimistic at this point makes a lot of sense. Uh, the vaccine or the introduction of the vaccines is, is certainly good news, uh, but the distribution of the vaccine is, is the other side of the equation as well. Um, so ZMT definitely makes sense, but I wouldn't go all in. Um, but, you know, the market pulls back. Maybe it does make sense to add a 3 to 5% uh, position in ZMT. And just, and just a quickly recap on gold since you asked about it. Um, gold, as I mentioned, it's a completely different animal from base metals, right? You buy gold for essentially three reasons. It's a hedge against uh, inflation, it's a hedge against a weak U.S. dollar, and a hedge against macro risk as well. Um, so gold, as you noted, has faced a little bit of a headwind over the last couple of weeks. Uh, reason being is because, you know, as we saw risk assets kind of sell, sell off in September, um, we saw the U.S. dollar strengthen, which caused um, a lot of people that were buying gold for a hedge against a, a weakening U.S. dollar to sell. Uh, but then over the last couple of weeks, we saw a lot of people that were hedging against macroeconomic risk um, start selling uh, gold because of the vaccine news. So um, over the long haul, I would still say 
um, you know, we're still constructive on gold. Uh, there's still a lot of reasons to own gold, uh, but we're likely going to see a consolidation over the, la- over the next couple of weeks. But, um, you know, if you look at the long haul, um, we're still going to see more government spending. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for the Fed to taper anytime soon. Uh, so that still means that we're going to get, you know, the balance sheet may not expand, but it's still going to, it's still going to, uh, we're certainly not going to see tapering any anytime in the near future. And the last reason is that if you look at central bank activity over the last couple of years, they've been diversifying away from the U.S. dollar and, and buying gold, which um, I think is supportive. So, you know, just to recap, um, you know, we, we think gold is going to consolidate over the next couple of weeks, but over the long term, we're still constructive of gold overall. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Well, it certainly has been eye-opening watching the, the divergence between those two trades in the last couple of months. So good to get the background on that. So with that, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for either Chris or Alfred. Yeah, hi, guys. Great call. Thanks a lot for taking my question here. Uh, I've been raising quite a bit of cash over the last five to seven months, and I'm looking for some ideas that have some really good ex-North American exposure. Uh, Any ETF recommendations or ideas would greatly be appreciated. Thanks. Thanks for the question. I'll I'll jump in on this one. yeah, that's been a theme, ex-North America looking for growth. Uh, you know, we, we actually put a lot of energy into emerging markets. So despite kind of the noise around ADRs, you know, it starts with ZEM. Um, so even over the past month, as we had kind of volatility kind of at the end of October, ZEM was essentially flat. You know, we noticed that China, obviously, I think in terms of a big country, contained the coronavirus um, like way better than any other any other country out there. They're an engine of growth. There's a lot of GDP growth there. And uh, we've got a separate podcast that goes into it. You can look up in our library, you know, and a lot of other materials. But, um, you know, it's, it's an under-owned asset, and it's a very strong performing asset. Um, over the last year, ZEM is actually giving you as much return as, as broad U.S. equities, um, so far in excess of Canadian equities or, um, or, or EFI equities, for that matter. So I make I look at ZEM as um, rounding out your portfolio. You know, looking at your exposure there, saying, you know, what, you know, like Alfred said, with the gold, it's not necessarily always, you know, what's going to, um, you know, going to jack up your portfolio over the short term. But you know, as a long term strategic allocation, I think emerging markets is a must, a must own. Um, you know, regardless of the noise, it's just you know, it's too big to ignore. So that's one uh, ZDM, just to stick with the broad beta theme uh, in EFI. You can look at, you know, your, your EFI equity exposure. Um, again, as we're seeing this theme of kind of beaten up, um, you know, corners of the market starting to rebound, ZDM would pick that description as well. So on a kind of one-month basis, it's up almost 9%. Uh, we tend to, you know, and, and I mentioned earlier, you know, the S&P's up four. So good outperformance there. You know, we tend to like the hedged here. You know, some of the currencies in um, – and EFI are kind of a little more toppy. You know, the Canadian currency has been, um, you know, pretty weak this year, um, not just against, you know, the U.S. dollar, but I mean globally. So um, I, I think we prefer hedged in this space as that DM gives you that hedged EP uh, exposure, broadly diversified. So ZDM and ZEM are a couple there. And then, you know, on the other, you know, kind of the other construction uh, point of view, if you don't want to kind of go all in with a global or I should say like a foreign exposure, you know, we've got a lot of global options. Some, uh, you know, we're increasing in that area. 
So a couple, you know, really key ones is, well, first, let's start with ZGQ in terms of that um, quality and defensive growth anchor of the portfolio. You know, you can't do a lot better than ZGQ. So that's a global quality exposure. And, um, you know, it's got a really great track record and it's going to give you that, you know, global equity growth. You're going to be concentrated in, in high quality companies, good fundamental strength in terms of profitability and balance sheets. Um, so, you, you know, you can't go wrong there. And that does give you exposure to EM as well as developed companies, as well as North America. And then ZWG would be, a, you know, another, you know, kind of as a final, you know, if you want a little more global in your portfolio, uh, ZWG is a global high dividend cover call ETF, um, had very, you know, strong performance relative to other dividend strategies, uh, which, which have suffered. And I think it's going to continue to do well. You know, I think we're, we're still looking at a volatile market um, over the next six to 12 months. And, and we, 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 you know, the cover call overlay can really benefit, earn some extra income. You know, if we do get a slide or a sideways market, you know, as we're transitioning power to Biden, you know, I think ZWG continues to look very good there. So those are a few ideas to, uh, to help out there. Hello, gentlemen. Just a quick question on the fixed income side. Um, I don't know which one could answer. Uh, regarding bonds, especially the corporate side, do you see a lot of value versus the government there, both in Canada and U.S.? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, I think if you look at things right now, um, you know, government has definitely been the safer place to be. Um, so we've seen a lot of people kind of use government bonds as a way to uh, de-risk a portfolio over um, you know, over the last couple of months, uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, asset allocation accounts move to things like uh, ZFL, um, that uh, also are, are provincial bond ETFs as well. Uh, but I think at this point, I mean, you know, there's definitely a lot more optimism in, in terms of an economic reopening. Um, so I think corporate definitely makes a lot of sense there. Um, you know, as, as we noted last uh, week, uh, when you look at the high yield market, for example, we've seen a lot of spread compression uh, already take place in the high yield space. Um, I think uh, high-yield credit spreads are already tightened, I think, in, in the neighborhood of 85 basis points uh, in the high-yield market on, on the back of that Pfizer news. Um, but one area that we've been uh, advocating for is uh, emerging markets. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good way to get credit just because if you look at the balance sheets, um, a lot more sound in, in how they've reacted to uh, coronavirus um, in terms of their uh, stimulus package. Uh, you know, nothing on the TV front, so we do think that their balance sheets are a lot more sound. Uh, so if you are looking for a way to get credit, uh, emerging markets is a good way to, um, you know, get a, if you are looking for a higher beta trade or higher yield trade, um, that's something to consider. Good morning. My clients are looking for U.S. dollar exposure in both equity and fixed income. From your U.S. dollar ETF lineup, I'm just curious, what would you recommend and also, is this a pure play on the currency or a converted amount like some mutual funds? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, as a Canadian investor, you know, we really design them for, you know, investors who have that kind of U.S. dollar exposure. They don't want to, you know, or I should say U.S. dollar, like actual dollars in their accounts, uh, but don't necessarily want to convert it to Canadian dollars. You know, as a Canadian investor, if you're buying a .U., um, like, for example, let's say a ZWH.U, the U.S. high dividend cover call ETF, you know, yielding you know, about 7% right now. You're going to buy that with U.S. dollars. 
you know, your net exposure um, as a Canadian would be, you know, that would be translated back to Canadian dollars, but perhaps you have U.S. expenses. Um, so for snowbirds, you know, and, and this is probably not, not the year for snowbirds, obviously, but, um, you know, say so you have expenses in the U.S., um, you can pay those from your dot .u. So, you know, I think we've seen, you know, in terms of our dot .u, it's, it's a quiet, but uh, addition to our lineup in some respects, but it, it has meaningfully grown. I think, you know, investors do respond to um, that ability to spy things in U.S. dollars and not have those estate tax issues. Uh, our largest one would be the simply the S&P 500, uh, uh, ZSP.U. Um, but we have seen a lot of popularity with our income-based strategies. And I think, you know, when we talked about the dividend, you know, potential for, you know, a little bit of reflation with respect to the dividend strategies, I think that's pretty interesting. So you, know, you can look at your ZDY.U or your ZWH.U dividends or high dividend cover calls to generate some income, uh, potentially benefit from the reopening trade and, and uh, you know, uh, give you some benefit there on the fixed income side. So probably uh, ZIC.U is, is, is a good option from a fixed income side. So that's a investment grade uh, fixed income midterm bond, uh, five to ten years. So it gives you some nice duration exposure, and and again, you're invested in investment grade companies, which I think is you know a solid place to be in, you know, on the fixed income side. So you know, a couple ideas there. We've got a few more. You know, on our website, we've got our our uh, ETF roadmap prominently featured, and, and you can see all the um, all your options there. Um, I think we have a dedicated section for, for the .U exposures. I want to thank everyone for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time. Uh, good to have the back and forth as well with the questions. Of course, thank you to both Alfred and Chris uh, for your insights this morning, giving us some good talking points to bring back to our own days. Uh, and as well some good uh, trade opportunities around the ETF shell. So with that, just want to wish everyone a great day, and thank you once again for joining. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Better times may be on the horizon, and there are more ways than one to make the best of it. ZSML, for example, underscores the road to economic recovery led by small cap stocks. Or consider a compelling alternative to traditional fixed income, ZPR, which has had an unusually steady run since the introduction of additional Tier 1 bonds back in July. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. 